0: Hey guys, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Garrick, thanks for joining us. I'm just giving you the mic.
1: Hi everyone, thanks for having me.
0: Garrick Back is a, is a digital art specialist, uh, particularly known for his expertise in computer and generative art, uh, but also has a deep interest in digital photography and early NFT art. Uh, he's also an art advisor uh, and curator with decades of experience in the fine art world and has assembled uh, some iconic exhibitions, such as Automotive Mensch in collaboration with Jason Bailey. Um, does, that, does that sound right, Georg? Am I
1: missing some, some important uh, things? Yeah, I, I think uh, that's pretty much right. I mean, I, I started, I, I mean, I used to have a gallery as well and um, I was specialized on uh, generative photography actually i also did a a, a large exhibition with the uh, jacquard tapestries that were created by digital artists that was like 10 years ago or something and yeah i mean well, i've been curating a few exhibitions with nfts and digital art
0: i, I didn't know that you had your own gallery uh Georg.
1: like when was this um oh that's a good question uh, we closed wait a minute i think we closed 2017 from 2010 to 2017 i believe okay interesting. it was called uh Schäublein und interesting. and buck
0: interesting and how did you get into like let's say you have been like at the intersection of art and technology for many many years now like how did you get fascinated by this this intersection <laughs>
1: Well, I actually, uh, I got fascinated in the 1990s. Um, you know, we had an institution in Basel which uh, was showing um, internet art. Um, and they had really amazing shows. Uh, it was just kind of like a little space, but uh, they really showed all the major artists at that time. And I was always going to Basel and see the shows. And. Um, yeah, and, and I was also interested in, in, in the early days of digital art. Um, but that was kind of like an interest, but it was professionally not really uh, what I was you know, involved with. Um, at that time, there was probably a very, very small group of people who were interested in that field. So um, it, I was surprised that the art scene was never picking up on that um, you, you you never saw any well there were a few exhibitions i believe but um, it, it was very very niche and uh, certainly you didn't see anything in the art market so i i kind of but but that's that's where I started and when you started in the 90s like did you expect
0: this like uh, a digital art scene to to grow exponentially or um yeah was it just out of yeah, I'm. I'm just curious to hear. Like, did you expect the, um, what what happened like in the last thirty years and where we are now? Um...
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I remember I was. That's when I met, uh, the creator of Clay Zero Two. Uh, his name is Johannes Kays. Um, is a Swiss artist, and uh, he never dared to call himself artist at that time. <laughs> And, uh, but he, he was making like, a, a, an amazing artwork, um, which is interactive on the internet. You could just add pictures and, and create a huge tapestry of pictures on the internet. It was a website. It's now a part of the Hack collection. And, um, yeah, I I was having discussions with him, and I, I always said, "Well, this is, is the most important art movement of our time." And and uh, yeah, he was kind of laughing at me, I think. <laughs> and and I I also thought he was a great artist, but he was not. Yeah, you know, declaring himself as an artist, and um, but it never took off, uh, and it was I was really surprised at that time, but. Um, but then then we had this exhibition at um Kate Voss gallery uh, called perfect and priceless and and i remember he showed up at the <laughs> the exhibition and i told him now it's going to take off <laughs> i believe this is this is the right moment now and he was just laughing at me and um yeah well I mean, obviously, there was not yet a market in 2018 for NFTs. I mean, the NFTs cost like 20, 30 bucks or something. Um, we, I mean, we even had a NFTs by Lover Labs on the platform, which, which didn't sell at $30. So um, I, I think they don't exist anymore. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean... Yeah, but I I felt, you know, later when the NFTs came, I felt now we have the right technology and and this could take off. So um yeah, but a lot a lot of lot of the artists from the 90s, I think they really uh, some of them also gave up and 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 they didn't I don't think they believed that digital art would ever ever be successful. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned "perfect" and "priceless," uh, Georg, because I actually interviewed like, Kate Vass like just uh, a few weeks ago, and, and we published the article like this week, and she also mentions this uh, exhibition. Um, yeah, it was it's very very interesting like how ahead of time it already was like with with pieces by Ria Myers, uh, CryptoPunks, um, and some other yeah very um, important works.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Uh... That was certainly an interesting exhibition. Also, in terms of uh, the topic that we we explored, um, the idea of value systems. So we also had um, Kevin Abosch in the show. I think Kevin is probably one of the major artists who who was who is always creating value systems. And um, yeah, that that. That in particular I thought was was very interesting in the early days of crypto art. You know, all these coins and, and the idea of creating value and we had Sarah Fran's uh, um, piece. Uh, I don't remember the piece. What is it was called? This, where you could just mine a, a currency and, and it was just very inflationary. And um yeah. Obviously, Ria Myers—he um, created um, all kinds of interesting conceptual artworks that time.
2: Thanks for that introduction, Georg, and uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, it's a uh, an honor to have you on the space, uh, especially for the 1950s. And thanks, to the funny guys, for the introduction, and obviously Peter uh, Monk Anthony for being here, the the writer behind the timeline. Um, and like we've been doing the past uh, few weeks, after every new chapter is released, we've been having these spaces to kind of highlight uh, 10 of our favorite moments from the the Timeline chapter. Obviously, these 10 moments are only a a small fraction of what the entire chapter includes. So if you always want to read more, you can always see uh, timeline.larandom.art to kind of explore along with us this chapter of the the, the 1950s. Um, uh, I think I'd just start out with uh, asking Peter a quick question before we jump into these 10 moments. Um, I think a lot of people say that generative and computer art Kind of has a history that goes back to the '60s. Um, Peter, why was it kind of important to also highlight the 1950s?
3: Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people do say that uh, you know, the, the kind of the history of this movement goes back to the '60s, and and uh, even you know the very uh, venerated Leslie Jones, who curated the the LACMA exhibition earlier this year at, uh, coded. She had another exhibition in 2021 called coded art at the dawn of the computer age. And, you know, it went from 1960 to 1980. So that's kind of like the period that, uh, I I think a lot of, a lot of people tend to focus on with, with this history, but the fifties, uh, was such an important decade, uh, for, uh, uh, for generative art and for digital art in general uh so so many of the advancements from this decade so we have the artistic advancements of like analog computer graphics from mary ellen bute and ben leposky with their work with uh oscillographs uh, there's also the birth of conceptualism with you know with alan capro and happenings and uh and John Cage and Neo Dada. Then we have the birth of generative music with John Cage and and Max Matthews at Bell Labs and generative text with Strachey with the Mark I. And then also analog computer generation with uh, John Whitney Sr. Uh, So we have all of those artistic advancements in the 50s and then there are the hardware advancements like Whirlwind and Sage, which were funded by the US military. And then software advancements like uh, Grace Hopper uh, inventing general program languages and then uh, John Backus at IBM inventing Fortran. So uh, it's just such a that so many of the those artistic and hardware and technological and conceptual uh, kind of innovations emerged in the 1950s that were so important to uh, how this actually uh, developed in the 60s. So it would, it would be really impossible not to include uh, the, the 50s. And the history of generative art. You, you mentioned the whirlwind
0: computer, Peter, um, and that actually brings us to like the first moments we want to discuss. Um, more specifically, like the MIT and the U.S. Navy dem- demonstrating the whirlwind computer for the first time in 1951. Um, I was wondering, uh, Georg, if you could expand on the on the significance of this specific computer, but maybe also like. Like while touching on the broader impact uh, the military has had on generative art
1: well, well the the military it was definitely always the driver for for technology and um, uh, I, I mean the first computers uh, the Turing machine uh, in the late for uh, or, or, or mid 40s uh, that was driven by military as well during the Second World War and um, there were a, a few early computers like the Univac, the Zuse, the ENIAC. The ENIAC is also, um, but I think they were all uh, in the late 40s. Um, I mean, the whirlwind is certainly a, a very interesting uh, uh, and important uh, computer, um, although at to my knowledge, it was not really used for computer art. Um, it, it, it is more in, important um, in, in the history of computers. Um, I, I actually kind of, uh, by chance, I've, I have found a, a really nice NFT um, on Super Rare where you can see the Whirlwind uh, computer. And that NFT is uh, w- was made by. Um, by um, um, Obvious, the, the artist uh, trio uh, from Paris, which was which is also quite well-known because they copied uh, Robbie Barrett's uh, code and, and, and did the first AI work um, sold at Christie's uh, a few years ago. So they became kind of famous for that. Um, and they <laughs> there is an NFT where you can see the whirlwind computer and and the first uh, software uh, programmer, uh, a young black guy, sitting in front of the computer. Uh, I even uh, uh, researched uh, his name. Uh, he's he's called Joe Thompson. Joe Thompson, the first software programmer on on the computer. Um, yeah, I th- I think um, certainly a. Uh, it's it's very interesting. I I, I was I was uh, reading through the the uh, the timeline and congratulations. It's it's great. I mean, it's it's really amazing what you guys uh, have done, and um, also to contextualize, you know, the the history of of uh, hardware and software uh, that led actually to uh, you know to computer art. Uh, I also liked um this uh, title um, or yeah or subtitle uh, that you called it a uh, proto uh, i think proto computer art or proto digital art because it, it was really the proto digital art um, uh, as as far as uh, i mean if you we look at these very early artworks by uh, Ben Leposky or herbert Franke, um uh, and so forth they uh, they were actually done on analog uh, computers or graph screens that were photographed or filmed and uh, they were not really uh, computers yet. Uh, I mean the plotter drawings they came in the 60s. Um, so I, I think that was that was really really interesting um how you, guys uh, contextualized everything
3: yeah I thank, uh, thank you Georg I mean uh, of course coming from you that means a lot and and uh, you know you're you're one of the people that you know we think is the most knowledgeable and and most respected in this space and and so that means a lot thank you if just to kind of jump into about the uh the whirlwind so the reason i included it in the timeline and, and it's such an important part of kind of uh computer generated uh computer generated imagery history is well a couple of things and, and gayar you touched on it too is it really hits uh home kind of the the magnitude of u.s military impact on the development of computers and and therefore you know computer art uh, so th- this uh, whirlwind uh, was funded by uh, the U.S. Navy. And, uh, you know, it was actually meant to be this kind of programmable flight simulator uh, to kind of simulate this uh, a flight environment. And what was important about it is it was kind of it was the first uh, real it was the first computer Digital computer that operated in real time. So it was this big evolution in computing technology where you could actually uh, see uh, on a display uh, with uh, you know a CRT display, uh, you could see in real time graphics and task, text with this oscilloscope screen, uh, and it was it was just a really interesting project because you know it was developed at MIT and it was funded by. Uh, by the U.S. military, by the uh, by the Navy, and it was it was actually so expensive that even the the office of the Naval Research budget like was completely used on this project, and it was basically forced to shut down, and uh, because even the U.S. military found it like so expensive to like kind of develop these computers back in the day, and uh, eventually MIT kind of convinced uh, the another branch of the U.S. military to buy uh, like so, like dozens of these whirlwind computers for another kind of military project called SAGE, which was semi-automatic ground environment. This was this uh, air defense system. So one U.S. branch of the military developed it and then basically sold it to another branch. So it really does kind of highlight how involved the, the military was in this kind of early development of computers and, and uh, computer art, but also a genuine important advancement in uh, in computer generated you know imagery.
2: Thanks for like that additional information of like the the first programmer, Georg. I think that's a really interesting highlight from kind of who first used the wound machine. And uh, I think it's really important that we also highlight kind of these military roots that kind of started these early prototype computers because I think this is where you see a lot of the the early stigmas arise from like computer art and art being not being accepted from kind of like the broader public. Um, I think it's something that Grant Taylor obviously touches on a lot when, in his book, When the Machine Made Art. Um, but kind of as we jump into like our next moment from 1952, uh, we start to talk about text-based systems and uh, Christopher Stocchi's, uh love letters and then obviously Theo Lutz's uh, stochastics text. Um, maybe, Peter, you can expand maybe on like how these early form of text-based systems and kind of generative texts help lead to the likes of Null, Nake, and Knees and how they kind of influenced them to create more computer art? Yeah, sure. I
3: mean, it, it's a really interesting question. So I've actually read before that Nol, and Niz were, uh, were inspired by by Strachey and, and uh, Love Letters. And, and I'd be really, it, it's very, uh, you know, bizarrely enough, we're going to be actually, Conrad, you and I will be speaking to A. Michael Nol tomorrow. Uh, so we can actually, th- this is actually something that I, I'd be curious to ask him. Uh, myself is, is if he was aware of Strachey's love letters at the time and uh, if that impacted him at all. But uh, in, in terms of what what I could say for myself, like this is uh, arguably this is, and I'd love to get Georg's take as well in, in his opinion, but you could make the case that this is, you know, the first digital art because, uh, so Christopher Strachey's love letters, uh, you know, they were these, you uh, randomly generated uh you know sentences that express love by a computer where like you know it would be adverb and it would be like adorable or beautiful and it would choose a random one and and create a sentence and uh these were created on the mark one which was developed at at harvard in the in the 50s and, and you know that was a digital computer so this was you could make an argument that this is the first Uh, Digital art. And and at the very least, this is some of the uh, very earliest forms. This is one of the very earliest forms of digital creativity. I I think that's uh, without question. Whether or not it's literally the first digital art or not is is perhaps up for debate. But it's uh, one of the very earliest creative programs and creative algorithms. And I think you can make a pretty strong case that this is kind of the birth of digital art. And it obviously is a a hugely impactful moment for generative text and generative poetry uh, as well. As you know, this was the the kind of the earliest, obviously the earliest digital computer you know art as well so i think it's just important to kind of the takeaways from this i just think it's important to note that this is possibly the first generative art and also that i think it's important to just keep in mind that text-based art came before uh you know visual computer graphics and, and also before music so i think it's just a really interesting uh moment here uh Georg, do you agree that this is the first digital art
1: um I I don't know it, it really depends um w- what you would consider as art. I mean, you know, actually in your timeline there's there's also moments uh, before that, uh, centuries before, which uh, were kind of digital art forms um, uh you know, talking about uh, Mozart's uh, dice composition or, you know in the 9th to 12th century there was a a very interesting uh arabic islamic uh, uh movement uh, called the golden age where they created these machines were which were also you know like hydraulic machines that were playing um uh generative music so um question is what, what what you would call as art or, or you know what is digital? Um, but I mean certainly what I would agree with is that this is most probably the first um, generative uh, poetry. Um, uh, I mean the artwork was quite simple. Um, I mean there the was basically a syntax, a sentence and there were some words that were, exchanged um so that they were chosen randomly from a certain selection like um verbs or 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 uh, yeah uh, yeah so um i think um it's it's very interesting uh i mean uh, probably a, a more sophisticated artwork um which is also very famous, but that that's probably going to be the topic of the next uh, discussion when you we come to the 1960s. Uh, that was uh, Eliza, which was the first chatbot. And um, that was um, 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 created by Joseph uh, Weizenbaum, who uh, um, it, it, it was, you could basically uh, chat with the computer. So it was almost like a a, a touring a simulation. And uh, funnily, again, uh, there is an uh, NFT. Um, I think it was in Hicketnung, um where they uh, you could buy this uh, Eliza as an NFT. It was an edition of, I don't know, 10 or 20. Um, and uh, so you could have your own NFT that was chatting to you Uh, every day (laughs) and um, I I think uh, you know I mean if you look at the whole history of of, um, you know um, generative uh, poetry uh, this is super interesting how many things have happened over the past decades Um, there's a a lot of great works Um, there's also a, a, a German there was a German poet, um, uh, a, a very famous one, Hans Magnus Enzensberger, who had his uh, Poesie Automat, um, the Poetry Automata. I have actually had the chance to see it once. I think it was created in 2000. I was creating a poetry that was more sophisticated, obviously, Um, Or Robot Lab. Robot Lab is a group from uh, Karlsruhe, I I believe. Um, They have uh, created this robot which is writing um, uh, um, artist manifestos, and manifestos how machines and people are living together, stuff like that. And and obviously, this, this now with NFTs, we have a, a lot of great artists like Sasha Styles, Verse Verse, and, uh, and a lot of other ones um, who are. Um, there, there's actually there was a a great exhibition um, uh, called Poem Subject uh, at Lavon Galerie in um, in Paris. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it, but it uh, must have been a great show. There's also, um, you know, um, an important Fluxus artist, Alison Knowles. She did the House of Dust in the 60s. Um, that was also um, an important piece that has been shown recently, um, also at Art Basel. So I, I think uh, that this whole history of generative poetry is, is super interesting would be a, a great topic for a, um, a show. Um, but I totally agree, um, that, um, or uh, as to my knowledge, it's, it's also the first piece of generative poetry. Uh, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. I think that, yeah, sorry, Conrad there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, um, that was such a uh, I think, interesting kind of overview of that history of generative poetry. And I think you're right. I, definitely think that this is all kind of debatable, especially when you get into like, what is first. Um, for this, yeah, like the how we define digital would just be made on a digital computer. And, and so this was made on the Mark One, and it was one of the very first digital computers and, and just one of the first instances of of a a program that was kind of using uh, these early digital computers in a, in a creative way. So uh, I'm, I'm not aware of a, a digital, uh, especially one that has an output associated with it uh, that involved creativity, uh, but uh, it, it is certainly uh, one of the most fascinating moments. And, and like you said, kicked off such a, 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 or was part of such a rich history of generative text and poetry
2: yeah and like, I think it's really important to highlight some of like those more contemporary artists that are still working with generative text that you kind of mentioned like Sasha Styles and Anna and, and all these kind of really vital artists that are kind of still progressing this space in like new contemporary ways. Um, and I think as we move on to our, like our next moment, which also happened during the same year as Love Letters, 1952, we talk about kind of like the first artworks that were created with electrical machines or kind of oscilloscopes with uh, Astronic by Mary Ellen Boot. Uh, and Electric Abstractions by Ben Lepowski, which is really known throughout the, uh, the kind of space that we are in. Uh, Georg, can you maybe kind of expand on the significance of these two artists and kind of what they created through these ele-
1: electrical machines? Yeah. Um, I mean, Mary Allen Boot, that, that's super interesting. Uh, actually, you can uh, also um, watch her films on YouTube. Um they're published also. Abstronic. I actually posted it even today or yesterday, I think. Um, um, I, I mean that uh, oscillograph, which is kind of like um, yeah, pro- probably the first yeah kind of analog computer used for art. Um, that was uh, really inspiring a lot of the artists at that time. I mean, Mary Allen Bute uh, used it um, for films. So she was uh, filming these, these um, movements. Um, ben Leposky, um, he is the most well-known artist as, as, as the father of these um, oscillo- os- oscillograms, or he called them oscillons. I actually have um, um, uh, an essay in front of me, um, which was published at Leonardo magazine 1969 on the oscillons, um, electronic abstractions. And um, maybe I can read a a sentence, uh, which which I found really interesting. Um, In the beginning, he was writing... They may be monochrome or or multicolored in motion or static on the cathode ray screen, and they may be so displayed as art, either on an oscilloscope or on a television screen. They may be recorded as photographs in black and white or in color or as motion pictures. They may also be shown as drawings or paintings. Um, in in the case of computer derived oscillograms they might be traced by electronic plotters um, i th- i think that's quite interesting you know that he wrote this because i only know the the photographs the the black and white and the color photographs um and and they're really beautiful this this uh, unfortunately I, I haven't seen many of them on the market i would love to achieve <laughs> get one um but uh but he must have produced quite a few at at his time and and he also did a, a big exhibition uh that that uh, started at Sanford Museum in Cherokee in 1953 and uh traveled through many places uh, it was shown in like 150 places over more than 10 years but but then actually he, he kind of stopped uh, i mean there's not much else that you can see by ben Lepofsky um, as opposed to another artist uh, which is also very well known uh, herbert franke who who actually moved on with his art and and always uh, created new art with new technology so i i would really um put these two artists in the same uh you know in the same room. Uh, I mean Franke did his first oscillograms uh, three years later. So he was not um as early as Leposki, but he was also one of the the, the major um uh fathers of, of this early proto-computer art. Um I think one thing has to be mentioned here as well, um, which is actually not in the timeline, but it's also not very well known. Um, there have been uh, also photographic uh, experiments, which, which are very close to um, you know, these oscillograms. Uh, there are also Lissajous figures um, created through uh, light drawings. Um, there are uh, two pioneers uh, uh, Peter Kamann, for example, who who started to do light drawings um, uh, in in the nineteen late 1940s and also a Swiss artist called Rene Gribli um, who who created light drawings, but most famously and and most sophisticated, uh, light drawings were created by Heinrich Heidersberger who, who made the rhythmograms so he constructed a, a whole machine which is quite spectacular it's it's huge and uh, he could draw with this machine and create very similar artworks as, as these, um, as these uh, early oscillograms in the 1950s so these were all artists that were creating Similar works uh, in the early fifties, and uh, some of them even earlier in the late nineteen forties.
3: Yeah, I think th- there are um, so many of those uh, artists from that time, kind of doing something similar. Uh, like another one is like Norman McLaren, and 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 I, I think they kind of use like Mary Ellen Butte and, and like Leposky, They kind of used the oscilloscope for like two uh two different kind of extents like some used it a bit more some focused on it more some focused on it less um uh, is such an interesting person i mean yeah he, he is credited with sort of creating these first graphic images by uh on a electronic machine with these analog computers uh, but it's just it's interesting because mary ellen butte was Creating such similar work, uh, you know, at, at a similar time, and again like everybody, Georg mentioned, and Norman McLaren. So it is interesting how kind of Leposky ends up getting the credit, uh, especially compared to sort of Butte. Um, I think he began his experiments in 50, which was before Butte, but I believe they both published their first works in the same year, which was 1952, which is the year that we're, we're highlighting here, which is uh, a electric electronic abstractions by Ben Leposky and, an abstronic by uh, Mary Ellen Butte. And uh, I just wanted to uh, highlight just kind of uh, perhaps a a forgotten woman pioneer and, and the contributions of somebody who is Really important to kind of abstract animation and, and also some of the very earliest art made on made with electronic uh, machines and analog computers.
0: Before we jump to the next moment, I also want to mention that we uh, that actually replied with the YouTube link to Abstronic by by Mary Ellen Butes. Um and yeah, I really recommend watching it. It's, it's from 1952, but aesthetically, it's yeah, super impressive. It's a uh, yeah still very, very interesting. Um, and the next moment we are going to discuss is the, the birth of Neo Data in 1952. Um, and yeah, maybe I can give this question to you, Peter. Uh, what does Neo Data stand for? Um, and can you draw a parallel, parallel to contemporary generative arts?
3: Yeah, so Neo Data, it, what's the important part and uh, how it relates to generative art is it's kind of introduction of conceptualism to the art scene and, and also just using chance and, and randomness and art, you know, it was, it was such an important movement in, in both of those things. And, and it was, uh, you know, happenings and in, in the birth of Neo Dada in the, in the 50s, you know, they were important progenitors to, you know, new tendencies and, and to uh, other conceptual movements like fluxus in, in the coming decades. So they, they also played this really important role and dematerializing art. Uh, so kind of, you know, that means freeing art from the confines of the canvas, opening up the definition of what art is, and dematerial, uh, the dematerialization of art is, is really important to just NFTs. I mean, it, NFTs aren't possible without this kind of, uh, without the spam work being laid. Uh, and this kind of early shift in, in uh, conceptualism or towards conceptualism, uh, you know, it was this is one of those earliest kind of shifts where we start to see this uh, change. And and the piece that really kicks it off is is 1952, It's, which was such a big year. I mean, I was, the last several moments have been about it, but it was with John Cage's theater piece, number one. You know, th- this was just a, sem- uh, a seminal performance and a seminal piece of, of art history uh, and was such an important part to the development of of Neo-Data. But this piece wasn't just Cage. Cage composed the music, uh, but there, it was this piece that had poetry and dance and music and it was all, it all happened simultaneously and it was all unscripted. So it was this piece of performance art that incorporated randomness and and generativity. And uh, it was, Uh, a really important part to, again, uh, step in the dematerialization of art, which has led to NFTs and just has been so important to digital art in general, and then this kind of rise of concept and and chance in art. So that's kind of what I wanted to highlight with this moment. Georg, was there anything you wanted to add there, or should we move on to the next moment? We got about 20 more minutes.
1: Um, I I think it's very sensible that you put this... um moment into the timeline because you're absolutely right that dematerialization is a, a very important uh, step towards nfts and what's happening now uh, maybe I, I i can only add um, that there's also the movement Nouveau Realisme, uh, with uh, yves klein and jean tangeli which which was also probably important i, I don't know exactly when when this whole thing started maybe that was a little bit later than the 1950s um but yeah we can move on
2: thanks for that information peter about like the kind of the influence of neo data like uh kind of adopting new kind of artistic practices and endeavors that have helped me to like this kind of nft space of of non-physical art and uh, other subjects um and as we move to the next year which is uh, 1953 uh we talked about grace murray hopper Uh, and her invention of the Flowmatic programming language, which was really significant to to it not really being a symbol program language, but something along the lines of an English syntax. Um, And Peter, maybe, do you want to expand on, like, why this program was so influential and and what it helped lead to uh, in terms of other computer programming developments?
3: Yeah, sure. So this was the first uh, general programming language. So it, it was a language that could be uh that was portable, so it could be used on different devices. It wasn't only it, it didn't only have to be used for a single device. And prog- programming languages before this, so this and Fortran were both really influential in in kind of transitioning programming from this kind of uh, it had to be done using only symbols and only with, uh, you know, on just dis- bespoke devices but, what uh, what Grace Hopper did uh, she made program she helped transition programming from it being only symbolic to actually using language and, and using human language so this was just such an important step and and democratizing programming and, and making it more accessible but Grace Hopper just herself was an incredible person she she worked on the Mark I, which we spoke about earlier. That's where Christopher uh, Strachey's love letters. Uh, the computer used to uh, produce that work. Uh, it was one of the very first digital computers. Uh, you know, she was also heavily involved with the U.S. military. So there's this other connection to to uh, the the military and, and early computer art and, and the development of computer technology in the 1950s and and general computer languages. Uh, you know they enabled uh, this more diverse uh, group of people to actually interact with computers and it significantly expanded the the universe of computer users and 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 also just uh, the applications and programs. Uh, so it this was a really important moment and kind of the, along with the Fortran moment later, with uh, kind of these uh, software developments in in the 1950s that I talked about at the very beginning. Um, Yeah. How about you, Georg? Is there anything you wanted to to add here?
1: Uh, I think uh, probably you're more competent to talk about um, this because uh, I'm, I I am more an art historian than a programmer, (laughs) so so I, I just have very basic knowledge about programming languages.
0: Okay, so that brings us to the next moments. Um, and maybe some of you were actually in, in Bright Moments Tokyo. Uh, Peter and I, like we pre- presented like the, the top 10, like most important, most significant moments in charity of art history. Uh, according, according to Peter, of course, like this is not a, a definitive top 10. Uh, but one of them was uh, Victor Vesarelli's uh, "Yellow M- Yellow Manifesto," uh, which lays the generative arts uh, conceptual foundation in 1954. Um, and I was wondering, um, like, Georg, do you, do you agree that this might be one of the the most significant moments um, in generative art history? Can you explain why it's, it's signif- uh, why it's relevant? Uh,
1: well, uh, the relevance is uh, definitely there. I mean. Uh he was very relevant for op art and kinetic art and um, in the early days of of the new tendencies movement um, this was the major topic Um, I I don't remember maybe 1963 or something they had a a very strong uh, selection of uh, kinetic art and uh, also with you know the zero group etc and 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 then they had this, this big show in the MoMA. Um, it was um, it was called "Expensive uh, Responsive Eye." Responsive Eye. Um, I think, uh, as far as the theory for generative art is concerned, I would say probably other theories were more relevant. Um, I would definitely mention uh, Max Benzer. his Aesthetica series uh, that's also from the 1950s. He was a, a very influential theorist and philosopher from Stuttgart. He was the teacher of Georg Nees and Frieda Nake, and uh, as, as you probably know, Georg Nees had the first ever, well, I'm not sure whether that's really still the case, but I mean, in many books they say that he had the first exhibition of computer art in 1965 in Stuttgart. Um, there's also Noam Chomsky um, with uh, generative uh, grammar, uh, Abraham Mole. Um, uh, I mean, these these are all very important um, uh, theorists of that time, and. Uh, they were probably closer to the idea of generative aesthetics, or they were the ones that defined what generative aesthetics is. I would say Abba Mol, Max Benz and Noam Shomsky. Um, But certainly, I mean, there's no question that uh, Victor Vasarelli's manifesto was... Uh, a super important moment uh, in the hi- in, in art history, and also there is a, a strong relevance of kinetic and op art um, for for the artists who who later. I mean, like um, I mentioned, Hein Grafenhorst, or for example, who did a, a op art uh, as a generative photographer, and uh, and a lot of lot of lot of artists also now you can see that, uh, you know, ki- kinetic art and op art is is everywhere in, 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 um, in digital art.
3: Yeah, no, I, Garrick, I completely, uh, agree with you that, uh, you know, the cybernetic theorists, uh, are just as influential. So, uh, or probably more influential. So we, t- we spoke about a lot. Of- about moles and Benson actually uh, last chapter because in the 40s with moles I mean he was what uh, you know one of the big inspirations for Benson and so we did touch on that last chapter and then we'll again touch on it next week or sorry next chapter with the 60s as well so uh, it is uh, that those are very important uh, kind of conceptual foundations for generative art as well and, and, and we touched on them and and we are going to touch on them in the next space. But yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Just to kind of give a small defense of uh, why I I think Victor Vasarelli and the Yellow Manifesto is so important. So I kind of see uh, this as being the sort of the natural, like Georg said, what this movement is really known for is kicking off kinetic art and op art. And, also, if you've been kind of listening to these spaces, we've been talking a lot uh, last week, too, about kinetic art and kind of the importance of electronic and digital art, the importance of capturing movement in, in art and and actually capturing something dynamic. And uh, Victor Vazzarelli w- uh, played such an important part of that with uh, his Yellow Manifesto and and uh, kicking off kinetic art, which kinetic art also was, you know, one of the early progenitors of cybernetic art, which, which is, uh, you know, very influenced by, you know, Moles and, and Bensa. And so also uh, Frank Popper is, you know, one of the Uh, best art historians about you know electronic and digital art you know he considered kinetic art to be one of the you know seven kind of foundational uh, uh, touchstones for for electronic art and you know I I think since this kicked it off you know this means it's also an important uh, moment and then also like you said it it also kicked off op art too so not only did it kind of uh, did it spur kinetic art, but also uh, the op art movement, which we also know in the next decade is gonna play such an important role in, uh, in, in the history of this movement, like you mentioned with uh, you know, the responsive eye. And then finally, I think one of the less known, but one of the big reasons why I included Vasarelli is because they were the predecessors of Grav and New Tendencies. And, uh, you know, so Vera Molnar was in Grav, which would start next year. Uh, So I I really see uh, Victor Bezzarelli as kind of this thread that unites constructivism and the Bauhaus. So I, I kind of see it as constructivism, Bauhaus to Victor Bezzarelli and then to Grav. And then from Grav, you go to uh, the cybernetic art of Nicholas Schaffer, you know, the art and technology movement of next decade and you know Vermonar and, and generative art as we know it. So that's kind of my brief, well, maybe two not brief enough defense of vasarelli is, uh, is uh, its connection to new tendencies, uh, op uh, uh, art and and then also kinetic art.
1: And also his art, you know, not just the theory, but his art. I think is hugely influential. Um, I mean, sometimes when I look at Zach Lieberman's work, I see uh, a lot of you know I, um, a lot of this op art and kinetic art uh, that was laid out by Vasarely. Uh, I, I see some uh, also some references sometimes.
0: I think you briefly mentioned the, the work of Nicolas um, Schoffer, um, Peter, and uh, that actually brings us to the next moment. Uh, in 1956, he created this um, kinetic sculpture called CYSP, uh, which stands for uh, cybernetic spatial dynamic. Um, and this made him the, the founder of cybernetic art. Um, Georg, I, I think you're familiar with, with the work of this artist. Um, could you expand on the influence um, of their work? Um, and also of the cybernetics um, movements.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 totally fascinated by Nicolas Schaffr. I, I also had the uh, the the chance to visit his studio um, in when when his um, widow was still alive. And um, it it is one of the most spectacular studio visits that I ever had. Um, you just enter into a completely uh, you know like a world full of machines that were moving and everything was just you know light everywhere uh different colors and it was almost like going to disneyland or something um uh, he was such a a, a visionary artist um um i actually showed cis one um a photograph of cis one um I mean, CISP was was actually a, an interactive um, kind of robotic uh, sculpture that, that was also used, um, for example, in, in, in ballets and dance performances. There are some famous pictures where, where you see the sculpture with a ballet dancer. Um, and uh, I, I showed a, a picture uh, in Automatum Mensch where you can see the CISP um, um, with a in Paris, interacting with people in the street and um, uh, yeah, I, I mean for me also, uh, um, actually I'm, I'm working on an exhibition uh, um, which I, I hopefully be, be able to launch next January called uh, the Cybernetic uh, City uh, Die Stadt which is um, based on a, an artwork by Nicolas Schiffer. And, and also a book uh, that he wrote. Um, it's called, uh, yeah, Die Kubernetische Stadt. Um, it's, it's, it was a, an amazing vision of the artist in, in the 1970s. That was a bit later, um, where uh, he kind of had this utopian vision that uh, like a tower in Paris would kind of control everything in the city everything would be connected. It would be like um uh you know like a, um I don't know a, de- a decentralized feedback system or something. <laughs> um and 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 also in the seventies uh you know they had this CyberSyn um project in uh, Chile which was a real real project um where they connected like 200 companies um, and uh, with a centralized control system. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, project uh, was then uh, going down um, after a short time. But um, there were these utopian visions uh, at that time. I mean, cybernetics is a, a steering system, actually. I mean, and uh, what we are experiencing now is also kind of like a cybernetic, um, you know, like these DAOs and all these uh, organizations which are kind of controlled uh, in some way through cybernetics. So um, I think Schoeffer was really one of the major most important artists of that time, I think.
3: Yeah, I think there's no question. Uh, And just to really, really quickly tie up uh, Shoffer with uh, kinetic art, you know, I I do think that there's, you can tie this uh, line from kinetic art to this kind of cybernetic sculpture of of Shoffer. Uh, And, you know, because these cybernetic sculptures were, like Georg was talking about, you know, they were kind of they were involved, kind of the automation of the creative process through these feedback loops and audience interaction, and and uh, and you know, I, I I think that's what's also so important about Vasarely is you know he was all about interaction and and body, audience participation as well. So uh, we are just about running out of time. So how, how are we going to handle these next few questions, guys?
2: I think I can maybe squeeze Moment 8 and 9 into one kind of moment so we can quickly cover it. Um, obviously, both happening in 1957. We have John Backus releasing Fortran, which was uh, done through IBM. And then, obviously, Max Matthews developing music, which was one of like the first generative music systems at Bell Labs. And maybe, Peter, you can just quickly touch on maybe how Fortran made generative systems more accessible or programming more accessible, and then maybe touch on the environment around... Uh, IBM and Bell Labs, and how those two kind of institutions helped progress the computing space so much.
3: Yeah, sure. So, I'll I'll try to keep it brief, uh, and you know, allow also Garrick to jump in here. But uh, in, in terms of the importance of Fortran's release in '57, so uh, you know, Backus started working at that at IBM in 1954. So, you know, he'd been working on it for. For three years and you know it was built around the idea that you would that you could express kind of numerical formulas uh in programming languages and and it was so different from you know hopper who was using english this is back to using uh, more uh, mathematics and symbols and and why fortran was had this kind of you know, lasting impact is it added this higher level of abstraction to programming languages. So like before this, uh, you know, you had to, if you wanted to program something, uh, you had to have this really deep understanding of the computer's architecture and memory organization. And, you know, it was really time consuming and error prone. And, and uh, you really had to, uh, you really had to kind of Create base instructions just for the machine that you were using, but Fortran kind of allowed for this portability where you could create one program and then wasn't too difficult to use it uh, uh, from one device to another. Uh, so it was just another step in and this kind of, uh, you know, with Hopper of, of making, uh, you know, computer programming more accessible in the 50s. And, and I'll let uh, Georg jump in with anything else if he wants to add something.
1: Yeah, there's not much to add. I mean, I mean, I, I, I can maybe just add that really most of the artists were using that programming language, like Vera Molnar, Friedenake, Manfred Moore, Aaron Marcus, Michael Noll, they all used it. So, um, yeah, keep it short.
3: <laughs> and then with, with Max Matthews, uh, you know, this was a computer, or, or he developed Music One, at uh, you know, this was uh, developed from on the seven hundred four uh, IBM computer, and but he did it actually at Bell Labs, and this was he was the first person to kind of capture and synthesize sound uh, from a live instrument and and from a computer composition. And you know th- this was basically the first computer music program. Uh, so again, I just think it's really interesting to note how the first uh, generative music and the first generative text actually preceded, uh, you know, computer graphics.
1: Uh, also important to mention, I would say, is, is uh, as far as music is concerned, um, the Iliac Suite. Uh, by Hiller and Isaacson. Um, that, that is probably also one of the early musical pieces. Um, that's also a piece that you can probably download uh, on YouTube. Thanks for the additional
0: context, uh, Georg. Um, I think we're now at the, the last moment um, from, from this decades. Uh, this moment is actually from 1958, uh, and it's John Whitney who created the, the first computer animation for the film *Film Vertigo. Um, and Peter, I know that you recently tweeted about like, how uh, computer animation for, for films is something that's like, very like, um, under-highlighted in generative of art history. Um, I would love if you could expand briefly on this, and maybe also use this moment to introduce the next chapter of our timeline, uh, the 60s, if that's possible.
3: sorry uh what john whitney made for vertigo in in 1958 is considered the the first computer animation but it was actually created on an analog uh computer uh so what whitney did was he he got this uh world war ii military uh anti-aircraft anti-aircraft gun so again we see uh from the very first moment uh, that we spoke about today to the last, that the kind of the influence of, of the military on this uh, on this decade, and, and you can really see uh, uh, kind of how that must have impacted people mentally when they thought about computers i mean these were these devices that they had never seen before and that were associated with war and the military and so it really kind of explains why people uh why it really took decades really until like the early 80s late 70s for people to kind of uh for the general public to embrace computers and and not i think in general think of them as kind of scary, uh, you know, when PCs and, and video game uh, consoles started coming out like Atari and the C64 in the early 80s. So I think it really did take like, you know, 30 years to kind of get over uh, the, the kind of, you know, I don't know know what you want to call it, the stink or some the the impact of, of the military on computing technology and computer art. And uh, with John Whitney, so he used this, uh, this giant, you know, multiple ton military anti-aircraft controller called an M5. And it took five people to operate this machine. And he needed this specific analog computer and it was considered a computer because it could spin continuously uh, without stopping. And, and so that's kind of, uh, he attached a camera onto that and, and then uh, used that spinning camera to record uh, the that first computer animation for the film Vertigo. Uh, I know we're we're over time here, and, and thank you everybody for still listening. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add on to that about Whitney, who's obviously one of the you know the pioneers of, of uh, animation? Is there anything you wanted to add there,
1: Georg? Um, I, I think you said it pretty well. I, I think I, it's not much to add. I mean, it's it's uh, maybe something interesting that uh, that uh, Hitchcock uh, in Vertigo the there was also Salvador Dali. Um, he was using always artworks. He was co- collaborating with a lot of lot of the artists at that time. So it's it's kind of interesting how how the film industry was always integrating artworks.
2: Yeah, and then that will wrap it up for this week's space uh, covering the ten moments from nineteen sixties. Uh, I just want to thank Georg again for joining us and giving us these valuable resources and information and helping contextualize some of these moments in a bit better light. Um, obviously just another reminder that if you want to explore more of this timeline, you can visit art to kind of explore each of the chapters more in depth. Um, and then as these next coming weeks come out and more chapters are released, we'll continue to have these spaces to highlight 10 of these moments. Um, and just thanks again for everybody listening. Thanks again for the funny guys for helping host this and, and Peter, obviously for, for writing this and, and obviously obviously speaking more in depth on each of these moments. So um thank you everybody.
0: Thanks everyone. Thanks Garrick for joining us. Guys. It was a yeah. it was an honor. Thanks, guys.
1: And thank you for doing this great timeline as well.